Alright, alright, quieten down now. Live from the Britain Yankee Pub Studios. Another Britain Yankee Craft Beer Pubcast. I can hear the pints being pulled right now. Take it away, lad. You are paying for that beer, aren't you? Pump up the bitter. Pump up the bitter. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Britain Yankee Craft Beer Podcast. This time it's from the UK. Yes, I am in the heart of Sussex. And as you heard the clang, I'm actually at a working brewery here in a little village, I think it is, uh, of Rudgwick. And I'm sitting in an ex-brickworks location, approximately where they used to have the kiln. And I'm at Firebird Brewing, which I got to know through my brother's son-in-law. You can hear him banging the kegs, I think, down there. (laughs) He got to learn it through my uh, brother's son-in-law, who has a coffee shop and also turns into a wine bar at some point and serves Firebird and Hepworth beers. And I think there's a relationship there somewhere, but we'll get to that in just a second. With me is co-founder and brewer Richard Peters, Welcome, Richard, and thank you so much for allowing me to come here on a working day and talk to you, because I've got a lot of questions about UK brewing and how we can uh, find out what the differences are across the pond, as you guys say. Fantastic. Thank you very much for having me. So, first off, let's see if we can find out a little bit about Firebird Brewing. They... uh, They've been around for about 10 years, you said, but you guys, and you have a co-founder who has, in this part of the world, got quite a brewing heritage. So give us the summary. So my my business partner, Bill, uh, actually, we're university friends, so we were both at brewing school in in Birmingham a long, long time ago, Uh, is fifth generation brewer uh, from King and Barnes. Um, and uh, after he set up uh, King and Barnes as most of you around here know was actually purchased I'm afraid and then shut down by another brewery Um, Bill went and did his own thing um, for a few years and sold was that that W.J. King? W.J. King um, sold that thinking he was going to get out of brewing but you can't get it out of him after five generations and uh, he and I had a beer together. We're both, in our opinion, unemployable and <laughs> decided that we'd quite like to get going again. So we built this place from scratch. Um, we've done everything in here. It's self-funded. We don't have any crowdfunding yet. We don't have any uh, uh, significant debt. We've basically done it through our own savings and then blood, sweat and tears. And we've built the business now to uh, employ full-time equivalents, if you like, because quite a lot of people work part-time, you add them all up yeah. and divide it by a week's work, you get to about eight people, so we're very proud of what we've done, 
Um, we've really enjoyed being here as well. It's been a great home. This this particular old site has been a fantastic place to set up a brewery. And you guys are both originally from Sussex. Uh, I'm originally a Scot. Really? <laughs> I've had it all kicked. It's a hell out of, of an me. accent you got there. <laughs> I've had it all kicked out of me. Uh, Bill is absolutely born and bred Sussex. Uh, I've lived all over the country. So, uh, ah. and when uh, we left uni. Um, Bill went back to the family business via a couple of other pupils. Uh, it was a very common thing in those days that lots of the larger breweries would offer pupillages to the smaller breweries personnel. Um, so he worked for some quite big companies actually. And I went to work for what was then called Courage, which oh, doesn't yeah. actually exist now. Um, and after about 10, 10 years, I left brewing. But Bill's actually been in brewing all his life. Okay. So between us, He's got. He's he's forgotten more than I know, but okay. <laughs> but, but they put this post together. We, we we worked it out. We've got something like fifty years experience, and that's fantastic because you can never brew beer uh, unless you really know what you're doing. I mean, there's a lot of lot of people who come into it and then they don't quite make it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, the basics. That's definitely true. Um, you know, you can't. You can't hide things if you're not making a, a beer well. But I must say, um, the new generation have taught the older generation, I count myself as one of the latter, um, a lot of new um, things. Um, I mean, we would never have imagined when we were both at brewing school that we'd enjoy making overly hot, hazy <laughs> um, chewy IPAs we would never yeah. even have thought of it and when you explain to older brewers who haven't had experience of craft yeah. things like the hot rates the cereal bills uh, they can't believe it I mean, they, they just wow this just, no you surely can't be adding that much and you surely don't use all those yeah we do and uh, that's what makes these beers so different so I'm drinking, it wouldn't be the Britain Yankee if I didn't have samples in front of me to, to try out. And I'm drinking the first one was the first beer that you guys produced, which yeah. is Heritage. Heritage. And this is a traditional bitter? Out-and-out out traditional sausage-based bitter. Um, actually, it was a recipe that Bill found of his great-great-granddad's, who's the guy that started well, what was called uh, King, that became King and Barnes later. Yeah. And... Um, uh, it never actually materialized into a commercial brew or it may have become something a bit like Broadwood if anyone remembers Broadwood from King yep. we're talking 20 years ago I actually remember Festive more yeah. than Broadwood okay. but, you yeah. know. Festive has still got a big fan base around here and we make our own version of Festive as well. but anyway Heritage we wanted to do a best bitter because every beer every British brewery is going to have a best bitter and we've um, we've really enjoyed the way it's come out because it's it's, it's bitter, obviously mid colour. I mean, what, what do you say about British best bitters? But, but they're, they're they're standards fair, really. But it has a definite fruity, dried fruit finish mm. to it, which we really like, um, and that's um, probably down to the yeast. But um, yeah, um, it was, it, and it's it, it's been our biggest seller since we started. 
It's it's being slightly eclipsed by some of the more modern styles now, but it's been a backbone of our business. Believe you me, this will never be eclipsed by the modern style. So my question, which I'm, you know, I, I'm very familiar with the brewing process and the brewers in the U.S. Um, try to make English bitters. Right. I'm glad to say that I have brought a, a can of Fest beer to you from Art History Brewing in Geneva, Illinois. And the brewer there is an expat Aussie, Greg. He has made a couple of bitters that have been really tremendous. His best one is a Yorkshire bitter right. that is called, um, I've forgotten it now. What the heck's it called? I'll think of it. Yeah. But it's got Timothy Taylor landlord yeast in it. Yeah. And it comes out well, and he does it from a hand pull. Yes. However, as I drink this beer, it's very, very low carbonation yeah. and uh, it poured out of a, a regular tap, you yeah. know, like you'd see in yeah. most breweries. Not out of a hand pool. Yeah. How do you? What's the difference in the brewing process to make this, which I think Americans would look at and say is a well, it's non fizzy and it's very warm. You know. <laughs> so I hate it. Um, a part of the trouble, I think, that uh, I mean, you could argue the same way around in the UK, but in the US, I know that quite a few people quite like to try making cast beer. But they, yeah. it's a bit like us getting used to modern styles they, uh, in the UK. They have to sort of let go of a whole load of uh, baggage. Um, so they need to let the fermentation be warmer than they'd otherwise do. They um, need to just put beer in a cask and plonk it down in a, in a not too cold room and leave it alone and so, so it feels quite difficult to do that if you've, if you've always been used to conditioning right. beer and then hopping it and dry hopping it and doing centrifuging it in order cases and, and quite often carbonating it or at least fermenting it with a high back pressure to get the carbonation up and, and it, to do something like just open ferment it and let it vent and come up with like one volume, one point three volumes tops of CO two is like like unheard of for them, and probably <laughs> very difficult as a result to make. Yeah, and it may be a difference in the equipment. I don't know. Uh, while we talk about equipment, yeah. what are the specs on your brewery? Because I see well, at least what six tanks, probably more. I can't quite count. So, so we we have a. And we're still very small. We are, our brew length is only 10 UK barrels, which is 16 uh, hectolitres, if anyone wants to use that. So yeah. our brew length is something like 1,500 litres, something like that, generally. And we have 10 2,000-litre um, unitanks. So we ferment um, and we also condition in those tanks. We can use top pressure on them um, and we can play around with the temperature as much as we like. So... An ale will be fermenting pretty warm and will allow it to get up to 22, something like that. And it won't ever get colder than about 5, uh, even if we're crash cooling it. And this is all centigrade, folks. Google it. I beg your pardon. Yeah. (laughs) So divide by 1.8 and add 32. Um, No, it's okay. (laughs) So so there is a rule to that one. Halve it, take off 10% and add 32. Okay. Anyway. um, Oh, really? So, so, yeah. So uh, I ought to be able to do that in my head, but I can't. Sorry. Fahrenheit's been lost on me. Um, But, for example, that that, that would be a nail. If you're making uh, a pilsner, then never gets above... 13 
centigrade, which is cold. Um, and when we condition it, we're doing it at minus one or minus two. So it's below freezing. It won't freeze, obviously, because it's got alcohol in it. Right. Um, but that's what makes it the beer it is. Um, and then we, we actually serve it in here in our bar, straight out of the tank. It never actually goes anywhere else. And that, that's what I've actually got that in front of me now. This is called what Bohemia Bohemia Pilsner. Yeah. Bohemia Pilsner. Now, for those at home, and I have taken some pictures of it. To me, it looked very much like a Keller beer, unfiltered. But yeah. the flavour is fantastic, and you said it's all SARS hot. Yeah, very SARS. floral. Yeah. Well, relatively low. Well, no, all Pilsners are relatively low bitterness compared to an ale, but. But there's a bit more in them than, than, than for example, a Hellas style. Yeah, and certainly more, more character. And we played around with different hops to start with, and, but we just went back to sales. We don't particularly like um, dry hop lagers. And it seems to be a bit of a fashion at the moment, but I think it, the dry hopping completely kills the lager character. You just lose it. It just tastes, to my mind, like a bit of a sort of sloppy pale. Um, and wonder why you bother making it to be honest yeah. we, we we make only the beers we want there's one where we we disagree so there's beer, one beer we make which I like and <clears throat> Bill doesn't but he lets me make it anyway which is a white IPA but it is a bit of a confection so why is IPA what? White, so it's basically a, a VIP beer but it's also being boosted up with uh, with uh, we use Mandarina Bavaria because we love that hop um Right. And we um, uh, we like um, um, we're, we're adding orange peel like a lot of bits have. And so so this is quite it is quite an unusual beer, and it's not for everybody, and it's certainly not for Bill. <laughs> <laughs> is he a purist? Uh, yeah, well we all are in a way, and, and we're opinionated old farts. So uh, and that's you know, great. We, we, we make the beers we want to make. We get told by lots of very bright people that we make far too many beers. And we ought to slim the whole thing down and make some more money. Uh, and certainly, I think if we had an accountant working for us, they'd probably tell us there's a load of beers we shouldn't be making because we don't make any money. But that's just not why we're here. So yeah. uh, we make, like a lot of people in the industry, we're doing it because we love it. How many beers do you make? Because I know I've <laughs> looked at your website and it seems to go on. <laughs> yeah. Last count, we have 15 for sale at the moment. But there's okay. a couple coming back in, so <clears throat> uh, we only do our docking box, for example, in the winter, and that's brewing this week for release in early December. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, um, we and there are other beers where we do it occasionally. So coffee porter has only just come back on. Actually, it was off for most of the, of the summer. We 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 love it, but. We've been so busy this summer, we just haven't been able to keep up. So there's a few beers went by the summer. So we're just catching up now. So we have a, a big trend in the U.S. to put a lot of adjuncts into the beers. Yep. Um, I think the only one I know you do is that coffee porter yep. that has something else in yep. it, which actually... I think you call it, do you call it a Baltic porter? It is a Baltic porter, so it's actually brewed with a lot of yeast and it's brewed cold, okay. which gives it a, we think, a cleaner, I mean, when you're adding loads of chocolate character from, from the malt and obviously coffee character, then um, 
you could argue that having a big thick background is good for it, but I, we think it sort of masks it a bit, and we like the idea of the, the Baltic Porter on its own actually tastes delicious anyway, um, because it, it's dry. What's the ABV on that? Five, five and a half. So that was pretty, that. We don't really do, and I know a lot of your um, people you'll have covered will be doing like seven, eight, nine percent. We only do a couple of beers up there. Um, the Doppelbock and uh, a dipper called uh, the Twins. Uh, the rest of them, we're all uh, below 6%. So let me ask you a question that, because it's always been my understanding, and hopefully you can confirm this to be true, mm-hmm. that the higher the beer, the more tax you pay on uh, that yeah, to the yeah. Majesty's Government. Oh, That's right. His Majesty's Government, Majesty's I should government. say. God right. save the King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, uh, tax is a great talking point in the UK, uh, probably a little unlike anywhere else in the world. There are um, there have been lots of different ways that tax has been collected, and it's had a big effect on um, on the way beer has been made. It's one of the reasons that beer was so bad in the past in the UK, and it's one of the reasons it's now so good. So we only pay tax and we sell or give away beer, but once upon a time you paid tax based on the sugar content of your work before you started so you worried about losing anything and you reprocessed beer instead of throwing it away um, as a result there were some pretty shocking beers out there especially the larger commercial ones and that's improved remarkably and the other big thing about tax in this country I mean it's high compared to anywhere else in the world the tax rate is high wait a minute it's just it's gone down by 1% what's yes, yes, going it's on it's still very high uh, uh, not compared to uh, Scandinavia but everywhere else is lower um, but there is a dispensation for small guys in the UK okay. um, so we pay half the rate of duty it's called duty that uh, a big brewer would pay and that's very important I mean, it's the difference between um, surviving and not surviving right. it makes up for the fact that we have no economy to scale we're far too small right. to, to ever compete with a big brewer and in fact head to head we still couldn't ever do that but at least we're given a fighting chance so one of the other issues that I know you talk about economies of scale and costs and things Right now, there's a big energy crisis in yeah. the UK, yeah. um, probably caused by that chap over in Russia, I think. But you said you're an electric brewery, you're not gas. Um, yeah. How's that going to affect you in the future? Um, in the short term, we're, we're okay. Um, we're not in great shape, but we're still okay, and that's benefit. We've had the benefit two things. One is we are actually only one of many users on the site that we're on and between us all our landlord has sorted out long-term electricity contracts which is far more important to us than any of our neighbors right. we're by far the biggest user but at the same time also that same landlord has installed enough um, about 70 percent of the roof area south-facing roof area in this site has got cells on it so when it's sun shining we, we're we about 70% self-propelled, if you like. Yeah. It's the sun that's driving it. When the sun's gone in, of course, that drops in enormously. But the combination of a forward-thinking landlord uh, and the fact that we've got... Um, we use electricity which he is generating when he generates it, so he doesn't need to store it. It means that we've actually avoided it. 
um, the really nasty bits. I mean, our electricity price has still gone up three, three times. Yeah. But that's nothing like the like twenty times that some some people are having to bear at the moment, which will put them out of business. Um, but but actually, if you speak to any of the brewers around the world, they'll tell you that they've been dealing with cost inflation, big style, for a long time. I mean, just just look at what's happened to the cost of malt, hops, pretty much anything. Right. Um, How about CO2? That's a big concern <laughs> over in the US. Uh, r- right now, it, that's a very hot topic. So it's actually calmed down for a bit, but now it's gone completely crazy. To the point where um, it, it is actually really business harming, but but that's well, actually that that's a hot topic that's only about a week old. So right. um, if it keeps going like that, if nobody finds a way to get these fertilizer plants up and running again, which is where the CO two comes from, um, then we're all in deep doo doo because do all we can, we 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 recover. Well, we don't allow ourselves to lose. A great deal of CO2. So most of our beers are naturally carbonated, meaning right. the carbon dioxide that's in them has been generated by the yeast in that brew. But we couldn't possibly recover and recycle CO2 like a big brewery can do because we're just not big enough. Yeah. Um, so if this goes on the way it's taught, I mean, it's gone up six times from the one batch to the next. Uh, if it goes on like that and nobody f- solves the problem, then yeah, we're in serious doo doo. But then, uh, so is everybody else. Right. Uh, these things, um, it's very unlikely we're all going to shut the doors. I think it's just, the sky is falling in, but let's not run around the place and like, let's stick it just at the moment. Yeah. So I, I've now got my next beer here. I just wanted to move on to that one because the aroma of this is absolutely fantastic. I get beautiful kind of tropical notes, slightly grapefruity, but yeah. It, yeah. beautiful in the finish, yeah. and I don't like things that are too grapefruity. Yeah. This is your work ethic, yeah. and yeah. it's, what's the description of it's the a beer? New, it's a New England IPA, so okay. we, we owe that entirely to, uh, to the, but we call it work ethic, by the way, because the Puritans are the first, were the first settlers in New England. And they had a very strong work ethic. That's that. we've always had a little game with our names, and we have we thought that was quite a nice one, especially as <laughs> it, it's five percent. So you have a few few of them. The last thing you're going to do is be working, you know, right? So it's a bit of, bit of tongue in cheek, uh, but we 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 have fun making that um, in a sense because we would never have been taught how to make it. So. We've got young guys now working for us in the brewery here looking at these styles all the time, and it would never occur to Bill and I originally. I mean, <laughs> uh, so, so it's really nice to see something that's a bit outrageous come out, and it's become really, really popular. It's very expensive because of the hot bill's just right. astronomic, and the more. What hops do you use in it? Uh, so we're using uh, Nelson Sauvin, Citra, a bit of Centennial as well. Um, so all the expensive ones. Um, uh, but at least you can get them nowadays. I mean, when we first started making work ethic, you couldn't get Nelson Sauvignon in the UK. You just couldn't, even if you were prepared to buy a year ahead, uh, which everyone's used to these days. But even then, you couldn't get hold of Nelson Sauvignon. And that Nelson, I think, is the difference in this one. I'm not a big New England IPA fan. I'm not a hazy fan, as listeners will know. I prefer <laughs> oh not dear. to. Yeah, I prefer not to have it. This is very well balanced, and I think that Nelson is the difference there, because whenever I've had something with Nelson in, 
Yeah. It's just it's a very you know, subtle wine yeah. style. Hop. Yes, it's actually um, it is amazing that it comes from right next door to such a you know to Marlborough, fabulous um, white wine producing, and it has similar characteristics. I think there's a touch of gooseberry about that. Which oh. um, is um, yeah, so it's it's and, and it's smooth, subtle. It's it's, it's a yeah. really good hop. I'm not surprised that so many people jumped on it when it came out. So, down here in the south coast of England, next to Sussex is Kent, which was one of the original hop producing uh, locations. Um, if people have been to England, they must have seen oast houses, which probably have most primarily been converted into homes by now. Desirable but, residences. <laughs> Desirable residences. There we go. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to live in an oast house. It's pointy at the top. Yeah, so. <laughs> and completely round inside. Yeah. A flat wall to put anything on. <laughs> anyway, uh, so do you use local ingredients? Do you grow any hops in Sussex? Um, is there any of the malt that you use? So, so all, our, all our malt comes from East Anglia these days. So Okay. Um, very few people are growing uh, malting barley anywhere near us anyway and there are no maltings around here either so we buy from maltsters, we don't buy from farmers um, and hops uh, it all depends on the beer style so like heritage traditional um, using Fuggles, Goldings uh, and uh, um, WGV Red Golding variety which is really a Fuggles um, they're all Kent produced uh, some of them are Herefordshire, but mostly can produce. But if you're looking at, well, we just discussed uh, a Bohemia Pilsner with a Czech hop. You know, that's not going to come from around here. Um, uh, white IPA has got Mandarina Bavaria in it. Um, right. So, we're, we're, yeah, we'd, um, we'd obviously be, it would be great if all these hot varieties were being produced in the same style over around here. We'd be buying them, but they're generally not and you can see even where the same variety I mean Cascade for example very well known um, yeah. uh, big hop variety from the US is actually grown in the UK too but it's quite different it's got really quite a different characteristic and even you know, Cascade in uh, New Zealand is also that, that they are different hops and it, it's all to do I think with the soil because sure we do have yeah. a, a limited Illinois hop producing area but whenever there's a hop uh, whenever there's a beer made with Illinois hops believe it or not I can actually tell some of the time oh. I go in and I know it's to do with the soil so you know yeah, I, I think that's really interesting that you have so you that can, subtlety that means we can get as, as much bullshit in as we can on wine because <laughs> we start talking about terroir now oh wait a minute uh, no, wait. <laughs> the Brittany Yankee does not go in for bullshit like, with, with subtleties such as down to mango and papaya we don't do that no no no, no. Yeah. um you said you got most of your malt from East Anglia. Yeah. Do you import any from Germany? No, because no. the next beer I have in front of me that you presented me with <laughs> is your Weiss beer, which yep. is called. Uh, it's, it's called work. It's I beg your pardon. It's called Weiss. It's v, called Weiss. Yeah. V I C E. <laughs> yeah. We're just playing the song with that one. And this is a highly uh, delightful banana minimal clove yeah. uh, beer yeah. it did have a very big head when you poured it which <laughs> was great I'm not drinking it out of a, the, the vice glass no, but um, this is good so you don't uh, this is made with English more so 
Uh, no, it actually does have some German malt in it. it. Does. Uh, it's not all of it, but but and it's got, uh, but it does have English wheat. It's fifty percent wheat, like wheat malt, like like vices should be. Um, but it is actually step mashed the way that you should do, so that you're trying to produce that's decoction. That, yeah. So okay. we don't actually have a cereal cooker, so we can't take it out and cook it. But we can play around with lots of different water temperatures and a cereal um, cooker. So you need to be able to do to de- decoct it. You need to mash and then uh, take some okay. of the mash out, boil it in the cooker, and bring it back yeah. in again. And um, we don't have that facility, so we found ways to do it ourselves. Um, it makes a hell of a mess, and our yield on vice is <laughs> appallingly bad. <laughs> but uh, never mind. We have fun making it. And we wanted to make it because we love the style. We just yeah. uh, we quite like the fact that it, even though it's so traditional, it sort of sticks two fingers up um, to general beer because, I mean, lots of people who don't like beer just say, oh, I can't drink beer, I just hate beer. You give them advice and they say, oh, well, that's that's because it's got these different characteristics. It's not nearly as bitter as most beers. Yeah. And it's very smooth, that big mouthfeel that you get from yeah. the wheat that's in there. Um, is quite different from what most people, especially in the UK, would see as beer. And it's lovely to see the barriers broken down. That's one of the reasons we made it. And we don't sell a lot of it, um, but we like making it because we think it's at least as good as some of the better ones that we've tasted in Germany. So do you think that um, the average UK drinker is exposed to all the different styles now? Because... Yeah. The large organization, of course, is Camera over here, which was stood for the campaign for real ale. I think their campaign succeeded. Big uh, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, when the average drinker comes in, are they, do they understand the, the different styles that you're producing? Um, I, I, it varies enormously in the UK. I don't know what it's like elsewhere, but in the UK, there are lots of people like us, beerheads around the place, who will know lots about different styles and when they go somewhere they're interested in trying out different styles when they go on holiday or when they go to a new mm-hmm. brewery or mm-hmm. whatever uh, but there are lots of other real traditionists who just like it um, they like to be able to drink what came, comes from the local brewery they want to be part of the action and they, they generally drink more traditional beers um, so yeah it's all sorts but what I think one of the interesting things about craft in this country is how it's um, people call it about democratizing it's just spread beer drinking a much to a much wider audience so for example if you look at people of my age um, the, the number of women who drink beer uh, not even regularly but on occasion so once a month would still be tiny a really yeah. tiny proportion whereas if you look at uh, my children's generation it's about 50-50. It's yeah. the women and men, it's about the same. Uh, there's a marketing phrase, I think they call it penetration, which is <laughs> a terrible word. But, but it's, it, it measures that, have you ever had it? Or you know, even if it's infrequently, have you had it? Yeah. And craft beer has opened that up. And the reason is because there's such a variety of flavor. Um, so good on the craft beer movement well done to the pioneers across in the states because that's where it, that's where it all started yeah but yeah it's and, amazing isn't it and, 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 and they had no help I mean they just did it because they loved it and I, you know our hats go off it's one of the reasons we picked a, a sort of American name Firebird is distinct well we we, <laughs> we were 
playing with the idea of this is Bill's third incarnation in brewing, and he's promised me it's his last one. I, th- I um, thought that was actually yeah, where it was going to come but from. We were, we were playing around with Phoenix, but Effort yeah. is called Phoenix. <laughs> and then we came up with Firebirds, and we actually quite like the Americana feel of Firebirds, because that's where the Great Revolution started. And so it's our little bit of homage to the US, because, you know. Um, well, I, and I find that fascinating because, you know, I grew up with British Hales, yeah. and then I went to the States and there was nothing, <laughs> and then in comes a few goodies, you know, uh, I think Goose Island was probably one of the ones that was the first yeah. to really um, produce in the ales we kind of know today, or the beers we know today, I yeah. say ales. Yeah. But um, and now they've uh, you know they, they've kind of sold out to the big guys, but they're still producing the good beers. You yeah. know? And I, I I don't have any opinions on selling out to anybody. I think you know if you're if you're working, <laughs> we're not for sale. <laughs> well, no, okay. Well, if you're working your butt off, I thought that would be what you would want to do. You know, make money. But <laughs> um, no, don't, don't don't speak to my wife, please. Okay. <laughs> she, she doesn't understand it either. So um, do so, for love couple of uh, other questions that I was had there was um, distribution and then the packaging that you have now yep. Firebird produces bottles yep. and cans yep. and how do you get them out because we have a three tier system certainly in Illinois well across the states really yep. Um, yep. and you're either self distributing or you go through a middleman yep. you know, basically yep. so yeah so in in this country, it's you can do pretty much what you like. Um, you can be a retailer if you want. Um, there are rules when you get big, um, mm-hmm. so you're not allowed. To, if you're a big brewer, you're not allowed to own loads of pubs. Um, there's a lot of history behind that. I won't I won't bore you with. But but take our situation where we're minnows. We're very small. We basically do everything ourselves. We have a, a couple of wholesalers around the country who buy beer from us, but it's only ever occasional. Um, that's true of a lot of small breweries. So they're purchased in order to put a bit of color into this month's cask program or this month's cake program. And then you won't hear from them for another six months or something. I mean, they're still friends and all that, but that's the way they work. They want to have variety all the time. Um, but locally, um, we have a business which is, so that's probably accounts for, I don't know, 10% of our business is still very small. But locally, we distribute to local pubs, restaurants, cafes, anyone uh, that uh, is able to or interested uh, in selling decent beer. And we sell a great deal of our output straight over the bar. Um, and that's become a really important part of, of all craft brewers in the UK, um, especially during COVID. I mean, not Right. You weren't allowed to have a tap room during COVID because it was shut, but, but you could have a shop. And most of us had queues of people outside the shop just wanting to get a beer to take home because they're totally bored and completely fed up and being paid to stay at home. So it actually wasn't so bad in a sense. Uh, it was a bit weird for everybody and a lot of people died, but let's not forget that. But, but actually, uh, a lot of us, didn't in the end mind it. We thought it was going to kill us, but, but yeah. it didn't. And, right. and we've come out of it with the realization that having a tap room, having a shop that's vibrant, lots of people in the place. We run you know, music, food. We do all sorts of different things during the weekends. Uh, it's, as, it's not just a thing to do that actually gets a bit of income, sells a bit of beer, 
actually it's a really important piece of marketing as well because it gets us known locally which means that pubs enjoy stocking our beer because their consumers come in see it and say oh you've got firebird on last some of that and the whole thing is a lovely uh, works extremely well it's a bit of an accident got to be honest you know we set up our own bar for a bit of fun um, and it's become enormous <laughs> yeah I mean this is a very comfortable spot up here above the brewery and I'm assuming that when people come in you're not open <laughs> or you're not working rather yeah. down there yeah. um, you mentioned um, the bottles and cans but you also in your tap room I think downstairs you do five litre cans yeah. and also in plastic bottles yeah, which and we do growlers too so you do, okay. actually we don't do that many plastic bottles nowadays um, because uh, so many people <laughs> have bought their growlers and they they bring them back every Friday or a Saturday and they want them all filled up so what, what's the size of the growlers here uh, now you'll want to know it in, well, well in I have ounces, ours are uh, <laughs> 32 you can get a 64 but they're mostly okay, a 32 so I think 32 is quite close to 2 litres uh, okay, so ours yeah. are one and two liters sizes, yeah. and uh, we found, although in the UK the traditional measure of volume is a pint, right. which for anyone who wants to know is five six four milliliters, um, an you know, imperial pint, imperial pint, which is bigger than a US pint, guys. Um, yes, it the, is. The, I'm the, glad to say. <laughs> the, nevertheless, our customers have had no trouble getting used to buying milliliters. We, we, we explain it to them in terms of this is how many pints it's going to be. Uh, and the great thing about them is, of course, there's no waste. They just bring them back and um, um, we refill them. And we run a scheme where we'll charge a surcharge if you buy a plastic bottle. Um, and, of course, you buy the glass one once and you get a discount when you do it. Um, right. So it really does encourage people to keep bringing them back. And you, you can come and get your beer here anytime even if the tap room's not open seven days a week seven days, seven a, week, days yeah. a week if we're here you can get a beer in fact you can the tap room is open it's oh. just we get very few people coming in during the week oh um, okay we get one or two interesting well, we don't do any food that's partly the reason that uh, it's also as you can hear quite noisy yes it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, now, what's he doing down there is he cleaning he, kegs he's, he's, that is the sound of the bottling machine being cleaned before tomorrow oh okay it's got a very high compression uh, pump in it and that's what makes all that noise sorry <laughs> so you do have a bottling machine and a canning machine I noticed yes um, bottling machine is it, that's probably a bit of a yeah an exaggeration really just two bottles at a time and ah. it will take us all day to do one one batch of beer so very much like a lot of the smaller breweries over in the states yeah, yeah. okay but it, it does it properly so everything's counter pressured the Zoldoshin pickup's tiny uh, handles the beer very well uh, we've had to modify it quite a lot but we're very pleased it's actually our single biggest investment when we set the brewery up because everything else we could we knew people that could weld we knew people that could fabricate um, but what you don't know is someone that can just build your bottling machine out of bits of spare parts you've actually got to spend serious money on it and uh, canning is relatively new to us but it's a big big thing in the UK it's um, 
in yeah. craft it has like it has taken over um, quite rightly I mean for very good reasons so yeah when I uh, go when you go into uh, an off license or liquor store for the US <laughs> um, there is a a large amount of bottles and it seems to be almost now split between cans whereas if you go into the US stores it's predominantly cans yeah. because they all fit in nicely yeah. um are you finding a problem with getting cans uh, because aluminum or aluminium, as it is here, is is kind of getting expensive? Yeah, um, we did have, uh, during COVID, we did have some problems, but we haven't had any problems since. Uh, we're not a massive user, um, uh, but we really like the way cans have gone. I mean, they, they actually do look better on the shelf, in my opinion, yeah. and they're certainly more efficient. From a retail perspective, you get more sales per cubic foot, or however you want to measure it, um, and certainly they're greener. They definitely use less energy uh, for transport, for production, um, than glass. But traditionalists just still hate them. Uh, so there's this: uh, the young guys will will happily drink keg beer and they'll happily drink beer out of a can, and the older guys want to drink cask beer. And generally, this is general generalization. And they also, they don't like beer out of the can because they remember very, very long time ago now, but they remember how bad some of the canned beers really were in the UK. Right. They were terrible. Yeah, um, I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, who can blame them? Uh, it's just one of those things that's in there. They remember the tinny taste. They remember leaks. They remember actually very poor quality beer being put in. And in some cases, completely over-pasteurized. And now it's sort of... Like most people don't pasteurize their canned beer. Yeah. Most of us don't do it. We just make sure the beers are decent quality before we put it in and get it sold quick. Don't right. leave it hanging around for too long. And interestingly enough, as I look from the cans over here, you have a uh, BBE, is that right? Best before Best Buy? Best Before End. Oh, Best Before End. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We will typically have the date that it was actually canned on yeah. our beers yeah. um, but largely I think the public don't really know how long okay if it was canned on day one yeah. then you know when are the hops going to fade and it's not going to be fresh yeah. so you know I think your BBE date makes sense better you know? yeah. and different people add different shelf lives to their beer um, all people if they're quality accredited need to show how, how they justify what shelf life is. We claim six months shelf life on our can beers, nine months in our, most of our bottle beers, and one or two of our um, very unusual ones, maybe 12 months, like Old Ale, which is a deep dark black beer, is quite strong anyway, and it seems to last forever actually, but give it a year and it won't. You know. So you bring up Old Ale, let me say that I think your Old Ale is one of my favorites <laughs> and I think in the States we would call that old ale more of a mild yeah uh, and it's I think that's so, a good description of it okay actually it's like a strong in the UK milds mild nobody wants to have a beer called a mild in the UK because that's what granddad used to drink and uh, they were also very weak beers they were always like you know, three and a half percent maybe maybe less actually um Whereas Old Ale is like four and a half, and it's got a decent amount of uh, oomph behind it because it's got quite a big range of dark malts in there. Um, 
So, yeah, you wouldn't call it the mild, even though technically I think that's a very good description of it. And just to let you know, I grew up drinking mild, so <laughs> <laughs> I must be granddad. <laughs> no, so it's interesting, though, that the different uh, names you give. So you've got old ale, you've got strong ale, yeah. but yeah. it is still only somewhere in the region of five and a half, maybe six percent. How does it, what makes it strong? Oh, uh, I mean, obviously, if you've got um, strong taste, is a lot more than just alcohol. Although in some stronger beers, the alcohol has got a taste of its own, just that warmth, that oomph that you get in your mouth, and just the uh, volatility of alcohol. But, but generally, when you're putting more complexity in, particularly from the malt, less so from the hops, and also with water, then you can create uh, mouthfeel, you can create depth, um, and you can get yourself to sit up and notice, or you can really go overboard and put coffee in it. Um, and it, and it's, it is cold brewed coffee, it, it tastes like it. Well, so, I have to say that your coffee porter is one of the best ones I've tasted. It's a very popular style, putting coffee into that type of beer. Very well balanced. It doesn't taste like day-old coffee. It's not green. It's very, very good. And I would I would recommend anybody to have that if you're into a coffee porter. We're, we're lucky to have um, some mad neighbors. Um, we met, uh, again, at a local fair or something, but uh, we know two, a Swedish couple, Chris and Monica, who are completely passionate about coffee and they've set up Surrey Hills Coffee Company uh, they must have been running longer than we've been running um, and they make the most beautiful blends of coffee and we had a marvellous time deciding what to add to our um, to our Baltic Porter uh, uh, we had a very very drunken day doing that but came up with they've got a particular blend of theirs uh, it's Arabica mostly um uh, and some of it's Brazilian pea berries, some of it's uh, uh, Venezuelan, no, Venezuelan, sorry, it's African Suarez. Um, but it's a lovely, lovely blend. It's actually a really nice coffee on its own. It's quite oomphy, but it uh, makes a really good espresso without being at all bitter. Um, and it's, it's been a lovely thing. So we, we actually cold brew it and we actually take beer out of conditioning, add coffee to it, leave it conditioning cold, and then strain the coffee back out of it later. Um, and we do an additional uh, coffee earlier on in the process. Uh, and we've learned a lot about how it, how it ameliorates. So we were really surprised that cold brewing, i.e. adding more coffee, can actually smooth the coffee character out. So if you're adding it during the boil, which we do, well, you'd have thought... Well, late on in the boil, not, not boiling, obviously you never want to boil coffee, but late on, just after flaming, um, you'd have thought that, you'd, that would be the perfect time to do it, but actually um, it comes out plenty of character, but it's a little bit harsh. But okay. when, when, when you cold brew as well, on top of it, that's what makes it just lovely. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I agree, it's definitely smooth. Yeah. So. As I mentioned earlier, adjuncts are quite prevalent. Yeah. What is the, what I call the wackiest beer you've ever made? Uh, the, the wackiest and the worst one we ever made was uh, a grapefruit IPA, which I made, and it was terrible. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and we didn't realize quite how 
little grapefruit character actually comes from grapefruit. Um, so we added a lot of grapefruit, uh, lots of peel, as well as fruit, and it was disgusting. It was a terrible beer, and we threw it away. Um, and since then, of course, we realised that as you taste other people's, you realise that it's actually not grapefruit I'm tasting. It's something quite like grapefruit, and it will be coming from a hop. Um, so, yeah. I, I didn't actually, and while you were talking about that, it reminded me, I meant to ask you about the yeasts that you use. Yeah. Um, are they English yeast? Have you ever tried the Kavite, Kavite, whatever they pronounce it? They, they're all Saxerovisiae, so, or, or uh, Caldogensis, and they're all, we only use dried yeast, so we've actually, um, oh. we have actually cultured uh, yeast ourselves uh, for our festive brew we made. Um, we actually preferred the commercial dried yeast. Um, the, the quality of dried yeast is so much better than it ever was. Really? Uh, yeah. The viability is really good. Really good. Um, the repeatability is very good. The suppliers of these yeasts are very smart. Um, and they're brewing all the time with it. So they're playing with it. And they're, they're actually developing, I mean, the, some of you will know that uh, there's a couple of brewers in this country who've been developing yeast strains with uh, commercial yeast supply, so you can buy them. Um, and we found that uh, even though we feel that like, the purists would want to be having a, a room full of different yeast, we, uh, we've never seen anything like the quality that we can get by using dry yeast. And that's very interesting because one of the premier yeast producers in the States is in Chicago, Omega Yeast, and uh, usually our brewers will get it in a big plastic milk container and it bloops out as they pour it in, you know, bloop, bloop, it looks like a sort of a very un-oaty porridge <laughs> as it goes through um, so it's interesting that you're using dried yeast I, I'm sure there are brewers who use dried yeast but it's, uh, it is stable so you're buying it it's 99 plus percent viable uh, it will, it's all vacuum packs you store it at room temperature you do need to rehydrate it but that doesn't take long um, most importantly of all, it's infection free. So, yeah. any time that you're, I mean, and, and you can recycle it, you need to make sure you're oxygenating because if you ever take it out of one brew and put it on the next one, you'll get a massive lag phase if you don't do that. But, but that's good practice anyway. The, 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 the beers will probably do five or six generations. After that, you're pretty, you must be pretty sure that it's no longer the 99% of that particular variety. It will be 95% plus 5% of stuff, other stuff, yeah. wild yeast and lactose and things like that. And, you know, you're not going to produce the same beer, so uh, we just spend the money. It is quite expensive, but it's very reliable. Have you ever made a beer with lactose other than a milk stout? Uh, yeah, we made a, a fruit, um, a, a blueberry sour, which uh, we uh, call new clothes because <laughs> we're not mad on sour beers. Um, but we made one anyway because we thought we ought to. And we called it new clothes because we thought one day everyone's, somebody's going to wake up and say, you know, these beers don't taste very nice. The emperor doesn't have any clothes on. Um, yeah. uh, but 
but I mean, it's, they're big. I know they're big elsewhere. Ours was quite subtle, and the fruit definitely helped to balance out the acidity. Um, but commercially, uh, I think you've got to stick at it for a long time to do that. And in the end, it comes down to whether your heart's in it, and my heart wasn't in that beer, so we still got the badges, and we could make it again, I suppose, but I don't think we'll get it. <laughs> well, um, this has been absolutely fascinating. Have you ever been over to the U.S.? Uh, yeah, loads of times in my past, but uh, that was when I was uh, I was outside the brewing industry, but uh, oh, I, okay. I saw I saw the craft beer um, emergence thirty years ago. Um, and found one or two beers that just, well, Sierra Nevada's a really nice beer. Yes, um, I'll give so, a ring to that. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and then now that you know, back in the mainstream of it, you realize those guys were real pioneers, and we have a lot to them. Um, they, they put, you know, their heart and soul into um, something, and they had no help. I mean, they were. It's all inspiring, really. Yeah. A business school would never recommend that sort of a business plan. So what you're going to do, you're going to go up against a whole lot of very established, extremely well-funded uh, competitors, and you, you're going to sell the consumers something they've never tasted before. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds a bit risky. <laughs> yeah. And they've done it, and they've done a great job of it, and they've turned the whole thing on its head. So now the big guys all want to buy the small ones. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that the large breweries like Heineken and Asahi and Anheuser-Busch are purchasing the smaller breweries because they're trying to make inroads into that craft level. And I, I think nowadays we've been going so long that craft is becoming overused. And really what we're back to is skillful brewing of great beer. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. Uh, having been in a big brewery before, you know, I could possibly have a bit more sympathy, empathy, I should say, for the to, towards the larger breweries than a lot of small guys like us would have, um, because it's not like they're hateful people or anything, or they're making bad beer. They're not. They're technically incredibly capable, and they're, they're quality driven, and they're just as passionate about beer as as the yep. small guys are. They're not as experimental because they can't be. They're um, not allowed to be. That's part of what they're, they're selling. Uh, repeatability. That's what they're selling. Right. Um, so it's, you know, they're never going to come up with something really wacky. And when they do, it usually backfires because yeah. it just doesn't look right. Um, and the consumers see through it. So there's, there's a space for, there's space for all of this. What's really interesting is that, I don't know what it's like elsewhere. I think it's probably the same. I mean, the brewing industry in this country has gone boom. There are more breweries in the UK now than there were before the First World War, I think. Somewhere. Yeah, it's the same in the US. And and yet, we're all still here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nobody's making a fortune out of it unless yeah. they get bought. But, but, but they're still there and they're investing and they're creating new beers. They're doing all the things a good brewery should do and they're good companies and they employ people and the consumers love what they've got to offer but they're equally the big guys selling huge amounts of perfectly good beer that lots of people want to drink so there's there's room for everybody yep yeah 100 percent agree well 
uh, thank you so much indeed for an uh, absolutely fan- fascinating conversation. Um, I'm going to finish off by New England IPA. <laughs> and this... Oh, it's gone quiet, or I've gone deaf. Wait a minute, it must be knocking off time. Finally finished cleaning. It's, it's haircut time next. Uh, oh. Every every month, we are, our hairdresser comes in and cuts our hair for us. So. Really? Yeah, oh, my gosh. Haircuts in the brewery. That's pretty good. We, we, if we had a bed here, we'd probably sleep in it. By the way, what was the big banging? Uh, big banging was putting shives uh, uh, into the cast. They're big, big bubbles. Oh, right. Okay, they were because okay. he was cast cleaning. Yeah, I saw exactly. down there, and you have a cast cleaning machine. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the yeah. banging. Sorry, banging, crashing, lots of noise. Now it's all gone quiet because we're going to drink beer and get our hair cut. There you go. So before we leave, um, if people come over to the UK and they come down, well, if they go to London, it's just a short trip down here to Sussex. <laughs> yep, it's easy. Tell everybody where you are and 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 finish it up Come okay on, so we're firebird brewing we've been here nearly 10 years and we're at the brickworks in a little town called rudgwick which is just in between uh, the city of guildford and the large town of horsham and if you're ever around please come in and say hello we have quite an international contingent of customers in here actually because a lot of people who live in the southeast have lived elsewhere in the world um, and they love coming here and we love seeing lots of different people from different places so come along and see us um, our bars our, our bar is open whenever we're here but it's really vibrant on a Friday night and Saturday night so it's when the music is it's when the food is and uh, it's great fun Richard Peters thank you very much indeed and please pass on our thanks to Bill King who as I say he is a brewing legend in my <laughs> mind because King and Barnes was just one of the best beers that I ever grew up on. I have to say now that my probably go-to beer for Sussex is over at Harvey's. Yeah, uh, Sussex bitter is just delicious. Yeah. But I found a new place now, <laughs> and I really enjoyed your heritage. I think that was a fantastic beer. I'm glad you enjoyed it. The 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 bar lady has come back, and yeah. it looks like you're opening up. Maybe yeah. I don't know. No, no, no. We're, this is us getting ready for our haircuts. Oh, we're so, getting so, ready for your haircuts. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Maybe I could get a trim while I'm here. How about that? There we go. Tony will be delighted to cut your hair. <laughs> Thank you so much indeed. Um, we'll be uh, coming back here again when I come back again in a couple of years or, or sooner. Who knows? Thanks you Great. so much. Cheers. All the best. Bye, Take everyone. care. Hang on. Bye. I've got a glass. We usually end up our podcast with us clanging our glasses. So, cheers. What a lovely sound. I do like that. Cheers. Take care. Good old. Britain Yankee. Britain Yankee. I'll have a pint. Go, give us a pint. You got any tetanus? Uh, a pint, please, Bob. Give me another pint, please, Bob.